fish! So this is episode 14. Why is there no episode 13? What the hell happened? Uh, interesting wow. story. It was invaded by Dalek. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or I became a Dalek or something. Maybe I was inside a Dalek and I didn't know it. <laughs> I think this is this is the, this has got to become has got to become the stuff of legend. The fact that there there was an episode 13. It was long. We spoke for uh, two hours. And we covered a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that people would want to hear. Really important, you know, fun stuff. Fascinating stuff. From... Some of the best Tetsu moments ever. Easily, I mean, by far. Easily. It was the best Tetsu episode ever, I would say. Easily, yeah. Witty, charming. It was, we were, like, you know, hilarious. And, and it all went horribly wrong due to some bizarre software malfunction. So, so the aim here is to... We can't reconstruct that episode. It's lost. It but, is. It's gone. But, but there was all that stuff about the Cadbrosaurus carcass, the Gambo carcass, all that stuff about dinosaurs, feathered dinosaurs, all that stuff about dinosaur DNA, Jurassic Park, all that stuff about how, we, how we'd actually go about solving all the problems in the world. And decently. so much more. And yet we're never going to yeah. be able to do it as, again as it's well, just, are we? It's, yeah, it's always so, going to be a cheap knockoff of episode 13. Exactly. So, but, but what the little bits I do remember that I want to cover, I mean, obviously... This stuff, what we're doing now, this is done. Don't know about. I, you know, I see you're surrounded by piles of notes and everything, books and everything. Yeah, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I'm not checking anything as I speak about it. Right? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no one would ever guess. I see you've got everything written down right next to you as I, as I look at you. But yeah. um, but <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I'm that's so organised. <laughs> but um. But so as a result, I make lots of mistakes because it turns out that I don't actually remember everything I ever read, and uh, and as it, uh, things are getting much worse, I'm forgetting loads of stuff. So we make loads of mistakes. So that, and and I always feel bad about that, and always want to correct that. And the thing that we covered at length last time was pronunciation, and the fact that basically I think native English. My contention was, and I think you agreed, my contention is that native English speakers are generally pretty clueless on how to pronounce other languages so we kind of make things up and we sort of agree among ourselves that yeah that's that's how we're going to say about it that's how we're going to say it beijing classic example which as you know is not beijing it's beijing uh, and because episode 12 we were talking about and uh, here we go again that bird from the yay hole or the j hole or whatever the b hole or whatever yeah holonis j holonis we started off talking about that and how basically we're probably butchering the pronunciation of that well, and as, as I pointed out, like we're changing that J into some sort of foreign J, even though it's not. We might as well just say Gihalonus. It's a J. So, so we start. It's off not. With, it's uh, not a Spanish J or a Portuguese Kehol, Kehol. or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So there's all that. So apologies for pronouncing all that incorrectly. And then I think there was. Oh, oh. Um, before I get away from one more thing on pronunciation, Andrea's name. Andrea, Andrea, Andrea. I, for some reason, I started saying cow. Remind myself that it's got that it's not just a k, it's not just cow, or is it? Do I just say Andrea Cow? Andrea Cow, who runs one of the best blogs on the internet, Therapoda blog. 
good friend of mine, and I always pronounce his name correctly, don't I? Ordinarily. <laughs> but when I did that podcast, no. Which podcast? Go. Episode 13? Or? Oh, the missing, the missing... No, no, episode 12. Episode 12, I was we talking. got it wrong. Okay. Yeah, episode 12, got it wrong. And, and of course, got it all right in episode 13, but people aren't going to know that. Yeah. So, mm. so there was... Yeah. And there was a lot more pronunciation-type stuff. Okay. Yeah, Holornis, J. Holornis, whatever, that thing. Long-tailed, Cretaceous, birdie thing. Um, was... Because we were talking about Microraptor, episode 12, I think we spoke about the Microraptor work, published in Nature Communications. And there was a little discussion about the, uh, what we actually know about the integument of non-bird feathered manoraptorans, dromaeosaurids, chirodontids, whatnot. And, uh, and I said something about the distal tail fan in, mm -hmm. um, that we now know of in Chordipteryx, Microraptor, various other taxa. And I think I made an unforgivable generalization about... Yeah, because we were saying that Yehalornis, Jehalornis, whatever, has got that fan-shaped thing at the base of the tail. And then we were discussing, does that mean that that's actually the true tail fan and the distal tail fan at the tip of the tail? What's actually going on in terms of the homology of the actual tail? And a, a generalization was made about the idea that outside of birds, uh, presuming for now that it includes Archaeopteryx, outside of that clade, you've got pale fans before you've got... Oh, God, already the complexity. Jesus. Um, but, but anyway, I said something about like the, the tail fans, distal tail fans being ubiquitous. Well, Matt Martinuick, and I'm with, without question pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Matt Martinuick said, nah. He said, uh, said check out Simili Cordipteryx. So I have in front of me now a field guide to meters out birds and other winged dinosaurs. I think I've pimped this book before, but I'm going to pimp it again because I love it so much. Matt Martinuick's book which if you're interested in feathered Mesozoic things, you, you must get hold of a copy of this. It's great. But anyway, his point, Similicordipteryx, which is similar to Cordipteryx, but it's not Cordipteryx, it's got a tail fan, but the tail fan comes down to the base of the tail. So this, and, and it's a Cordipteryx-like oviraptorosaur. It's not a member of Aviolae, the Archaeopteryx plus modern birds clade. Or however you want to define Aviali, I know it's actually a branch-based clade, so Archaeopteryx uh, is not. Uh, let's not go into all that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so th there's that, that. That was We discussed that at length in the Mystic episode 13. That was corrected. So, And what else was there? I think, I think that'll kind of do in terms of the stuff I wanted to catch up on. I'm sure other stuff will come to me. Um, yeah, I'm terribly confused about what we've said and what episode was what now. I realise sitting here I've got absolutely no idea what was in episode 12 or 13. It's all merged together now. Oh, I'm oh well. <sighs> It'll only get worse. It will episode. get worse. Because there's a lot, because we've been away for so long. There's people clamouring. I've had people knocking on the door and phoning me up and loads of emails and... <laughs> just can't just, please where where what am i going to do with my time there's no tetsu podcast so why haven't we done a podcast for such a long time uh, well part of it was because i was sick for all that time and we we're finishing the cryptozoologicon take that casey <laughs> my coffee cryptozoologicon <laughs> 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, and but I think the last couple of weeks has just been not getting it together, right? 
I think we're insanely busy. I've been yeah. I've been at the SVP meeting in. Uh, oh right, yeah, of course. Oh, but we talked. We tried to talk about that in episode thirteen, and Did you we? gave away everything, didn't you? Everything that was in those talks you talked oh, about. Oh, I did. I did. Depth. Yes. In episode thirteen, in I, episode I spoke 13. about. Yeah. So uh... oddly, it was recorded just before you went to SVP, but that's just how good it was. That's how good it was because I, I knew I already knew everything about Dinochirus that was going to be released at yeah. that meeting. I already knew everything about Pascal Godefort et al's fuzzy uh, ornithischian from Siberia. I also knew everything about um, uh, Jack Conrad's uh, weird, armored, long-legged uh, Mesozoic uh, squamate. Uh, the new stuff about the pigmentation of Archaeopteryx. Uh, all the new stuff about. Odobina sea tops, which wasn't presented in the end, and all the new stuff about Eobalanoptrid mice seats. There's loads of marine mammal stuff at SVP, mm-hmm. um, and 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 all the other things that I spoke about as well. So all of that was covered. Um, <laughs> oh, the Dave Peters poster. <laughs> oh, good old Dave Peters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anything new? Anything new? Or is it just stuff that you might find on his uh, tremendous uh, blog? Um, something, uh, something. 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 <laughs> Um, uh, that's, There's something very wrong with his pterosaurs. Don't think I want to talk about it. Actually, it was so. Yeah, I'm, I'm. It's kind of a sensitive subject because I had a pterosaur post of my own, which didn't go down too well for complicated reasons. Um, but uh, oh, I don't know. We've 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 spoken about this individual before. Maybe. Well, what the hell? It doesn't matter, does it? Okay. So he had a poster about a flightless pterosaur. He actually didn't present himself. He, he wasn't at the meeting. Um, which, you know, if, if personal circumstances are involved, then that's understandable, that's fine. Tracy Ford put the poster up on his behalf. Um, um, mm. But um, um, the, the s- stage one in the Peters process involves basically looking at the fossil and, and stage two involves, you know, interpreting the bones he sees. And the nice thing about this poster, nice and inverted uh, in quotes, uh, is um, single quotes, not double quotes. Single quotes, not speech marks stupid americans uh, is because that you had the actual original photograph of the fossil which you can look at and it's like well that's your acid that's your litmus test for how reliable the interpretations are so you look at the, the fossil can you see the things that he claims that are there no you can't the photograph is cat vomit it's literally cat vomit it's like a pile of like little blobs and specks yeah there's the rough impression that there's well there might be a bone there there might be a bone there but then you see like 50 bones identified it's like Oh, seriously, come on. I mean, my hope is always that people see that and immediately go, well, this is, you cannot build the next several layers of inference on top of that. Um, what the hell? Just looking at the Facebook comments that are coming in. Um, yeah, but, but the problem with that is that people are quite used to seeing terrible photos of fossils and going, oh, I can't see any of these things. But well, there's terrible Fossils elements. can be very difficult to photograph. But what they don't realise is that Peters is actually working from that very photograph that he showed, right? Exactly. Yeah, he's not yeah. working I, I, from the real fossil and then saying, "Oh, trust me, it's all there." Yeah, trust me, I just can't draw, which yeah. is the case with a lot of papers where there are crappy illustrations of fossils. I think we should move on because that's far more. That's too much time spent on that, that individual who yeah, I yeah, am, because um, I have obviously been. Well, I've been dealing with in the last couple of days because of this exchange we've been having on uh, uh, PLOS about uh, our two thousand eight. The 2008 paper I published with Mark Whitten on Honours Darkens, but uh, 
Um, yeah, I'll, maybe we should talk about that another time. So <laughs> SVP, yeah, what, what with the run-up to SVP, me being away at SVP, haven't had time there to do podcasting. I'm busy on two major books. I am going insane. I am basically being driven to be on the edge of madness, I think, thanks to one of those books in particular. And uh, you know about it. I, I think I've like dropped hints. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about it at length at some time. But, um, oh, my God. It's just... <laughs> it was a fairly ambitious book. <laughs> And the, obviously we've had to finish the CryptoZoologicon and we have the launch event. And I suggest we come back to that like in Act 3, okay? Yep. So we're finishing up Act 1 now. We're now moving into Act 2. Let's have an intermission. Is it called <laughs> intermission? <laughs> okay, now what? So I suggested we may talk about some stuff that's been on TetZoo lately. And what with being so insanely busy, my productivity has dropped to minimal levels. Yes. Four or five months. So, um, yeah, woolly rhinos. I I thought that was a pretty interesting article. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm quite happy with it. I'm happy with the way it turned out and also happy with the feedback, Uh, (laughs) which we'll come back to. Right, but first of all, I would like to... My plan... Actually, for basically the whole time I've been doing TetZoo, has been to produce articles like that one on the Woolly Rhino. Four, there are going to be four or five or six of these eventually, on all the stuff that we know about the life appearance of animals that were seen by our our Paleolithic ancestors, and which they illustrated, because these people, you know, lived and you know were dealing with animals on a daily basis. They were intimately familiar with the anatomy of. Uh, the animals they hunted and observed and many not all but many of their illustrations are you know wonderful and uh, and so far as we can tell often accurate and some of the stuff that they illustrated is very different from the conventional interpretations of these animals that you see in most books and the woolly one is one example because like i said in the tetsu article most art most most artwork that i you know have always known that you see in prehistoric animal books the woolly rhino is just a, it's just a black rhino or a white rhino in a furry coat. And they don't show the, uh, the actual nuances of its anatomy, the, the weird anatomy of its horns, the nasal horn, the anterior horn in particular, and this black band thing, which has been known for a long time, and isn't present, <clears throat> I should say dark band, not black band, this band around the middle of the body. It's not present in all cave art showing woolly rhinos, but it is present in virtually all of them from a certain period from Western Europe. Um, so all that kind of stuff needs to be taken into account. Plus, we know loads of stuff about these animals from the permafrost specimens, which technic- technically they are, most of them are actually mummified. Their, their tissues are, are desiccated. Um, they, are, they are mummified specimens. They're not frozen specimens, as some people some say, as sometimes say. Although some of them, like the Sterunia woolly mammoths from um, Poland, they are actually preserved in a... Um, a cold seep uh, deposit where they're kind of like pickled, I think. I've forgotten. Although, to be fair, they are both, aren't they? They're both, um, uh, they're freeze dried, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I think. Because they are still frozen, aren't they, when they get them out? They don't, they're not. Um... Yeah, they are. Their tissues yeah. are frozen. So they are both frozen and mummified. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's true. So everyone knows that there's, that there's permafrost mammoths. 
and quite a few people obviously know there are permafrost rhinos as well. But there's, um, there's a whole bunch of other animals, including bits of horses. There's, a, there's a, an extinct deer, Cervalces. Hang on, deer. hang on, Darren. Darren, are they woolly horses? Uh, shaggy <laughs> horses. They don't look that different from Shavolsky's horse, the Tarky, that, the Mongolian wild horse. That's, that's why no one cares. <laughs> because they look... <laughs> They look well, so, what's the point of a woolly horse? There's no point in a woolly horse. <laughs> some some of the Paleolithic cave art shows the horses as spotted, and there's been some debate as to whether this is a genuine thing or not. Were, were the artists just making stuff up, or was it actually accurate? Because you know, so far as we know, spots in horses are only a domestic horse thing, um, and there's. There's, there's actually been some technical papers saying that it probably was a, uh, a real thing. There's also some, there's loads of people illustrated loads of deer, uh, Megaloceros, as well as um, reindeer. And there are spotty reindeers as well, which some people say, again, artistic license, and other people say, well, hold on, why did they do it? They did it consistently. In, again, only in certain parts of the world, not everywhere. Mm. So, um, so uh, Megaloceros, the giant, I mean, that's Megaloceros, the giant, deer often called the so-called you know the so-called irish elk um again what does that look like well most people you you open a prehistoric animal book or ask them what they think it looks like and basically it's just a big shaggy red deer you know dark brown or reddish with a mane <clears throat> well cave art doesn't depict it that way it's um I, th I think it's there's a couple of articles about it online brian sweetek um did one a few years ago based on this cave art data but um, it seems to have been uh, broadly white, pale, like silvery, whitish, with um, um, sort of uh, some sort of lateral neck stripe, some kind of like striping, brindle-like effects on the head and neck, and some kind of bold, dark markings on the rump, and then a mostly white body, dorsally mostly white, and then on the, up, the lower parts, silvery grey. Um, which actually, there's a, there's a few, I was tweeting about this a while ago, there's a few kind of like broad brush rule type things. I don't really want to say they are rules proper, but there's a few broad brush things you can say about patterns of pigmentation in some groups of animals. And some of the predictions that you would make about a giant deer like Megaloceros, given what we know about the habitat it's occurred in, the lifestyle, its nutritional demands, those, those kinds of things. There's a few inferences we might make about its pigmentation and uh, this cave art does seem to fit into those inferences um, because it's like a big cursorial open country animal that kind of thing um, it probably wouldn't have been extremely dark and plain there are reasons for thinking it would have been mostly pale and with boldly demarcated uh, they're called head and anal poles in hoof mammals, it would have had like obvious head markings and obvious rump markings. And um, hang on, um, hang on, hang on. They call them anal poles. <laughs> <laughs> they were just trying. Well, they were just trying to be rude with that, weren't they? You don't have to bring attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's and there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of that kind of stuff that I would like to I would like to cover talk about the life. What of I find interesting is that this stuff isn't um, <clears throat> the cave art isn't better known. I, I you'd think that um, the illustrations done by well the cave people yeah 
would be Paleolithic people would be really common in books and they'd be all over the place. I mean, why yeah. play an illustrator when you've got a perfectly good first-hand drawing of something that's out of copyright? Yeah. Now, <laughs> out of copyright. See this book? <laughs> Look how big this book is. The Nature Paleolithic uh, For Sorry. listeners, he's, he's holding up a Jumping rather large out. book. For you, look, I could, I could club you over the head with it. Look how big it is. Um, yep. By uh, R. Dale Guthrie. And this book is the... Th there's one of a few books that, that really go into all this stuff in massive detail. And they're fairly obscure. They're not really well known. I think so. I think the reason that this stuff isn't better known, isn't more widely used, is because Pleistocene animals are one of those chunks of one of those sets of taxa where there isn't the same mass market appeal as there is in bloody dinosaurs. <laughs> that means that there aren't, there isn't a call for people to like keep illustrating them, keep doing popular books on them. I mean, you think about books on fossil mammals, well, Mauricio Anton and a couple of other people, you know, they've done these brilliantly illustrated handful of books, but they still don't have the popularity and, uh, they're not as everywhere, they're not as ubiquitous as, as dinosaur books. And I don't know, maybe that's part of the reason. Yeah, maybe. But I'm thinking of even when you do get books where you've got illustrations, collection of illustrations of prehistoric well, mammals from this sort of era, you'd, you'd expect to get more of the cave art. Yeah. I think a lot of the people that are putting together these books don't know it exists or <laughs> thinks, well, that it, thinks that it looks bad. Don't get me started on that. Don't get me started on paleontological consultants i think i've already said far too much on that topic i think yes i think so before moving away from the woolly rhino article um yeah the article i liked the article you know a lot of interesting stuff a lot of interest in it but we had this uh, hilarious escapade in the comments then if you read it there, was, there ended up being like over 100 comments because some person um showed up who, <laughs> who denied that there ever was an ice age <laughs> <laughs> because they started off by saying, oh, I don't think that any of those adaptations, any of those apparent cold weather adaptations in the Willy Rhino were anything to do with cold, because isn't there like a shaggy-coated modern rhino that lives in the tropics? Well, yeah, some of their living riders have a bit of body fur, but do they have, like, thick fat? And But you don't even have to go to that argument. It's like, hold on, don't we have, like, tons of, tons of evidence demonstrating that there were pretty cool temperatures in the... Uh, in the, glaci the glaciated phases of the Pleistocene, and this person just kept on coming back again and again and again, saying that I think basically the whole idea of an ice age is, is a myth. So uh, that was ah, oh, jeez. There's everything denialist, isn't there? But that's a new there is one. now ice age yeah, denialists. That's pretty. That's very funny. That's funny. And, and I, so this this person, I actually um, happened to have given given my interest in cryptozoology. I happened to have seen this person comment before online at I think Lauren Coleman's blog and recognized their name. I thought, oh, somebody who's interested in cryptozoology and also is a sort of climate denialist. It's like, mm, well, mm. yeah, <laughs> things, aren't, things aren't sounding good. So I Googled this person and immediately all the stuff connected with their name that Google finds is to do with them um, not denying, but basically making snipey comments about modern climate change. I was like, well, it's looking really good now. So I had to sort of bring that up. It's like, is it, is it a coincidence that you're denying the idea of like a cold ice age in the Pleistocene and you also seem to have an issue with anthropogenic global warming and you also write about 
I don't know, Sasquatch or whatever as well. <laughs> so, do, you, do you believe in evolution, by the way? Did I, did I mention that there was a, um, there was a, did I mention this poster at SVP about the link between uh, people's acceptance of evolution and their degree of climate denialism? I, I think I may have done because I found this quite interesting. You might but, have um, talked about it in episode 13. I did it. I did in episode 13 mm-hmm. when we had that whole long discussion yeah. about, um, about, yeah, about, about human psychology. And um, yeah, yeah, so but cut a very long story short. The, the study found, and it was in one state of America, one of those Southie ones that's always, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, uh, often. Careful where, now, Darren, careful. <laughs> it's, where, it's where people have a, that it's one those places, that, the, the parts of the United States that are notorious for, for people with strong views on a number of matters. And uh, basically it showed, I think it might have been Tennessee, somewhere like that. But basically they showed that, um, yeah, there was a strong link between people rejecting the idea of man-made climate change are the same set of people that also complain about the evidence for evolution. So it's a basic kind of science literacy thing. Um, There's a definite link in... I I mean, that would seem like a fairly... uh... A obvious conclusion. That's would it have would. been my null hypothesis. <clears throat> Although sure. I would say there is a whole bunch of other people that also deny climate change. Oh yes, well it's complex. It's very which complex. Which are, uh, are more sort of a. In other ways, they're um, <clears throat> scientifically literate. Well, they might even be skeptics, yeah. right? They might be sort of. Yeah. But yes, uh, they well, deny I, it I've... for. I, I think it's still political reasons, but I, I don't know. I think I, that's I've, what the, the... boils down to. The denialists, and uh, that's not really an ideal term. We need a better term, but whatever. The, the people that complain an awful lot about the evidence for man-made climate change and say that all oh, there's other reasons like sunspot activity or whatever, in my experience, they tend to be extremely intelligent, extremely um, well-read, science type people themselves. But, and I will try and be polite here, they are all extremely arrogant now (laughs) i am i am clueless okay i don't i'm not i I don't understand anything i will happily admit anything you talk to me about i don't really know what's going on i kind of i'm sort of i think i've got a vague clue i understand a little bit about it but if we go into it in depth it's like well i don't really know i'm gonna have to go and check the literature or i'll have to talk to someone who knows about it more than i am and to the best of my knowledge that is an honest and fairly ubiquitous opinion among people that are interested in science stuff. It's like, well, we understand this the best we can, but I'm not going to pretend that I've really got a total handle on it. Whereas the people I meet who are extremely confident denialists of point to problems, they are the ones who think that they honestly do know better than everyone else because they're cleverer than everyone else. Yeah, and, and, uh, and for such a complicated subject... I just there's no way I would be a confident denialist uh, I, as a as someone that doesn't work on it full time. But <clears throat> I would think that the chances of my getting a handle on all the evidence properly are slim to none. I would think you would your opinion is similar to mine then, because I, I, I would say that it's like I don't really get it. I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding is the general consensus is this, and it's based on this clever set of evidence. Mm- Nearly all the clever people that spend all their time thinking about this think this is the case. And therefore, I am 
<laughs> willing to go along with that unless I've got a really, really compelling reason to think that they're all lying or something, which yeah. is just silly conspiracy theory nonsense. So, well, exactly. So misplaced arrogance is something that I certainly encounter a lot, have a big problem with it. And the people who have always been a problem to me are tetrapod zoology and, and in the scientific literature and whatnot have... Um, have generally been people who I, I would regard as having a, a misplaced arrogance, a, an incredible sense of self-importance. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so. well, definitely a, a way overconfident in their own uh, intellectual abilities to come to grips with every angle of <clears throat> angle of a big, complicated subject. And mm-hmm. anyone that's got... I mean, uh, the problem is that lots of times they are experts in other things, and I just wonder why they don't see that they couldn't possibly be an expert in this, given that, you know, they haven't given it the same amount of attention. And I don't know. It's yep. it's annoying, so we, but there you go. <laughs> we've, we've moved. It's especially, it's especially annoying given how serious uh, climate climate change is. Um, mm, and, but and, I guess yeah. that's part of the reason why it's so controversial, because it sort of demands political action, right? Which oh, people don't want to deal with. Uh, yeah. Okay. Because, so, yeah. Sorry. No, I don't really have anything else to say. Okay, I was going to say we've moved from woolly rhinos to Ice Age denialism to modern climate change denialism. So did you want to talk about anything else on Tet Zoo? I mean, I sort of made noises about the, the Hook Islands. Tadpole monster. Yeah, yeah. Let's happy. let's talk about the tadpole monster. Yeah, I like that one. That's great because it's such a good photo. But just, yeah, let's explain what it is. So in ni- late nineteen, 19- oh, I've forgotten. The- I'm gonna have to open the article because I can't remember any of the details at all. See, it's all just gone. It's all gone into surrounded by uh, pictures of fish, and conodonts. Um, <laughs> let- no, I'm not gonna show sh- sh- any fish fish pictures. <laughs> Fish. There's so many. There's over 550 named conodont genera. I don't even know what a conodont is, Darren. Oh, you're lucky. You're lucky. Uh, uh, God. Whatever they are, they're not tetrapods. But now I do have to care about them. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Just went a bit mad there. 1964. A man named Robert Lacerek and his family were holidaying. Or vacationing in or what do you call do Australians say holiday? They say holiday. Yeah, yeah good. Um, they were having a holiday, uh, Hook Island, which is off the coast of Queensland, um, Great Barrier Reef-ish, and um, they claim Robert Lacerek claimed that he and his um, family and a friend, a man called I think Hank De Jong, they discovered a gigantic tadpole-shaped monster resting in a lagoon, and uh, they took several photographs of it from several different angles and several different distances. And um, when they got back to, uh, uh, did they do this from Australia? Because Lacerec himself was French. Obviously, they would have gone back to Australia, but they tried to sell the images in America. So I'm not actually sure what happened next. But they tried to sell the images. Obviously, they did sell them eventually. And Bernard Hoevelmans, Hervelmans, Hoevelmans, however you want to say it, I'm kind of bothered by the fact that I have to say his name in the Cryptozoological talk because I, I still don't know what the standard pronunciation is. I'm, gonna, I'm going with Hoevelmans. Hoevelmans? No, just Hoevelmans. Go, go with Hoevelmans. Bernal Hoevelmans. That's what you normally say in conversation, and I think it sounds Hoevelmans. fine. Hoevelmans well, said, sounds too effective. 
Hoivogen. Well, he did some. So, so these photographs <laughs> are. Lacerik <laughs> <laughs> produced these several brilliant photographs of this tadpole shaped monster. Uh, Lacerik said that they actually, he and Tank de Jong, approached the animal underwater and it moved and they became a bit scared. So they like moved away, they left it alone and, and, and it disappeared. It has a large white area on the base of what appears to be its tail. And they said that this is a wound, um, maybe caused by collision with a ship, and that the animal was like resting in a lagoon. And Hoovermans did some investigation, and he basically found that Lacerik, to quote Hoovermans, Lacerik wasn't a trustworthy character. He like uh, he charged people for, for coming on the expedition when they never did, and he'd like left unpaid creditors and all this kind of stuff. And it's claimed that he was wanted by Interpol, basically sort of for you know misdemeanors or whatever. So already he's not, he's a suspicious looking character. He also said before he went to Australia, he told people that he was going to make a lot of money from a scam based around sea serpents. So the case against him isn't looking, the case against him is quite strong, I would say. It looks, looks, looks a bit suspicious. And um, um, this, this creature was, I was reminded of this creature. I had, had um, in our group at University of Southampton, um, Sam Turvey, who's a well-known zoologist based at the Zoological Society of London, he, he was visiting for, for a meeting and we were talking about, I can't remember how the subject came up, but whatever, he started talking about giant tadpole monsters in lagoons. <laughs> That's the sort of stuff Sam does. And um, we both remember this. I initially saw this photograph in the PG Tips, uh, what's it called? Mysteries, the Unexplained Mysteries of the World tea card series. <laughs> so I've mentioned these before on Tetrabod Zoology. If you grew up in tea-drinking households any time between the 1950s and the 1990s, you may be familiar with these little tea cards, pretty similar to like cigarette cards and little collectible sets of cards. And PG Tips, the tea-making company, they did a set, Unexplained Mysteries of the World, in late 80s, early 90s, I actually can't remember. And, um, And they included the best of the Hook Island Sea Monster photographs. We were talking about that. Um, but what's less so most people are familiar with the image that shows the giant tadpole thing from above less familiar are the at least three other images that show the animal show the object from other angles and there are two in particular that show it at close range so we can clearly see those of you who followed the debate i had on facebook with a couple of other people will understand the significance of what i'm about to say we can clearly see that it's a tadpole shaped creature with a, a, a head that's meant to be much wider than the tail we can clearly see that it has two oval-shaped pale areas on the top of the head that are meant to be its eyes. We can see those in three of the photographs, okay? So suggestions that it's a fish shoal, I think, are ridiculous. This is not a fish shoal. <laughs> this, is, this is like a big black object in the water. Um, yes. And I think we, we, we can't, again, you know, as with the Patterson footage and so many other bits of evidence, we can't ever say what it really is. We're never going to know. But circumstantial evidence leads us to the conclusion that it's a hoax, it's some big black object that Lacerik and his companions and family maybe have, have put in the water. Um, I think it's like a big black sheet or thing or, or something like that, which is, which is what Hooverman said as well. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's one of, you know, how many photographs of sea monsters are there? There's not many. And these photographs are among the best. Um, and I know that a couple of people early on in, in the 60s, like Ivan Sanderson, who's a 
well-known character in the history of cryptozoology. We talk about him quite a bit in the Cryptozoologicon. Uh, he and a couple of other people have sort of implied that maybe, maybe it could be a giant fishy thing. Sanderson suggested either a um, Synbranchid, which is a, uh, what are they called, swamp eels, member of Anabantomorphi, which is part of Percomorpharia within Acanthomorphteleosts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you're allowed to say those words on this podcast, Darren. Sorry. You said on Twitter your, your Twitter handle is you're making your Twitter handle cry because I kept talking about it. Uh, yeah, so Sanderson suggested maybe it's a giant one of these swamp eel things. It's like, well, that's stupid because swamp eels are eel shaped. They're not tadpole shaped. So thanks a lot for that idea. But, you know, then Carl Schuker says in one of his books that could it be a giant, what are they called, Simbranchioid, uh, the gulper eels and pelican eels, which actually makes much more sense. <laughs> it does look something like a giant gulper eel. But I think there's fairly good reasons for thinking those animals don't get much beyond a metre in length, let alone 15 metres or however long this thing's meant to be. Yeah, so, um, I mean, yeah. It looks really long, doesn't it? Yeah, about 15. It's huge. It's big. It's yeah. yeah. But as I also explained in Tetzu, um and I should say this is a republished article. I mean, it was originally put on Tetsu in 2008. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm intrigued by the fact that this tadpole-shaped monster is very similar to a vaguely similar-sounding sea monster that, that Hoovermans describes in his 1964... No, sorry, 1965 book, La Grande Serpentemire. <laughs> Is that how he talked? <laughs> yes, that is how Bernard Huberman's speaks. That's my impression of Bernard Huberman's. Uh, <laughs> and, sexy, and sexy sounding man. That's exactly what he sounded like. He was, he was a, a smooth talking jazz musician, comedian, wrote many bizarre stuff about the nature of man in the universe and also published books on cryptozoology. Um, and did a thesis on the teeth of the aardvark. PhD thesis. Um, so, but yeah, so Hooverman's came up with this, this creature called the yellow belly uh, based on a handful of alleged eyewitness accounts. And um, it, it, it always struck me that Lacerix's photograph of the Hook Island sea monster is really similar to Hooverman's yellow belly sea monster. So is it that Hooverman's took the idea of the yellow belly from Lacerix's photos, or is it that Lacerix took the idea of what the monster should look like from? Hooverman's book, the problem is that the two don't match up because Lacerix says that his photographs were taken like some months before Hooverman's book was published. So the question I've always asked, and I've never got an answer to this, is is it possible that Lacerix knew about Hooverman's idea of the yellow belly sea monster before the book came out? Um, or was Hooverman's inspired by the Sarek's thing and just didn't say it? Or is it a complete coincidence and I'm completely wrong? It's, it's nothing to do with each other. And, I mean, and I'm... Spec speculation time here, but say you were the Sarek, right? And you mm. were out to hoax something. You, want, you thought, I'll do some sort of sea monster. I'll take it into... Sh I'll, I'm, and you've decided the best way to do this is like some shallow water, you'll dump something in, right? You'll put something there and you'll photograph <clears> it. Because <throat> this looks like fairly shallow water, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's definitely. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> what's the 
But the thing is, okay, it has to be big, right? If it's, if it's too small, the scale will... You'll just end up with those cruddy, like, um, Loch Ness-type photos. You want something that's better than that. You want something you can clearly see the scale. But making something really big is hard, mm. and mm. moving it around is really hard. So you've got to think of something that can, you can roll up and deploy, if you see what I mean. And what yeah. this looks, to me, looks like to me is they've got some sort of heavy thing which is probably some sort of bag filled with stuff to weigh it down mm. and that's the head and then the rest of it is black cloth or something it's a it's something that will stream out behind it in a current it's mm. not um it's not also solid which is why you get this tadpole type effect right oh. you end up with the big fat thing and then mm. something streaming out behind it which i presume they put it in a little um current of some sort to get that streamy effect i mean this is all just speculation but i think that does sort of that does look like the sort of thing you'd get if you did build it this way because how, how do you move a 15 meter long thing around you just you can't it's a pain in the neck you have to so you move around the head and you have just <clears throat> cloth or something light for the body Maybe. I had always assumed oh, well, that that's interesting. I had always assumed that it was a, a sheet that they'd wear. not not literally a sheet made of fabric. I mean, like a, a sheet of tarpaulin, some mm. sort of heavy plasticky material that mm. they had weighted down. Because in the close-up photographs, um, both of which are on Tetsuo, it looks to me like the edge, as if the edges of the head region are weighted down with sand that's overlapping the edges. Yeah, it's buried got, in the sand. Yeah, it's partially buried in the sand. And I thought, I'd assumed that they might have just trailed out the taily section behind it. If you look at, there's a photograph taken at distance of it. It's, I only have a black and white version. Um, that seems to show the same tail orientation as the, the bigger colour photo shown mm. from the front. So, and, well, yeah, we're never going to know. That's, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, but that, I mean, I guess I'm putting <clears throat> that forward is to explain why it's the ta why it's the shape it is. Just because that's an easy easy thing to fake, whereas something different shape, you know, fins, blah, 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 stuff, all that other stuff, it's much harder to fake. This is the one of the simplest things you can get, which is big that mm. sort of looks like some sort of animal and yeah. is possible. Um, yeah, but the if you were going to make a classic, I mean, most most people that think of sea serpents. They think of them as just giant snake-like things. So I wonder why they decided to go. The, 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 the key for me is the tadpole-like shape. Why go for the tadpole-like shape? Well, that's what this is what explains it. Because that's what if they're saying. putting in a current, they need something to weigh it down, mm. and they mm. need it. They need to weigh down a long thing because they've got like what 15 meters of tarpaulin or or cloth or whatever it is coming out the back. Yeah. Um, I think, and because when you weigh something down, you know, it takes bulk. Mm. Um, and if it's in a current, it, the the sheet will tend to contract. It might, yeah, um, yeah I don't know. It'd be All interesting right. to see and like actually try and recreate it, see what see what happens. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, let's get the money for that. Let's go and do it. Well, I don't think you need money. Barrier. You just need um, some... You no, you've got to go to the Great Barrier Reef. You've got to go to Hook Island, Stonehaven Bay, recreate it. So, <laughs> so if, any, if, if anyone I, would like to... I think, I think we should recreate it at Southampton. 
Oh, oh. oh, you can't because there's no shallow water. It's all deep. Uh, it's also muddy. Okay, um, I'm sure we find yeah. some. I'm sure we'll Waters. find. I am sure. Okay, West Wittering then. <laughs> uh, too cold. The, the the refractive properties of the water are different. Oh, totally different. Cold water. <laughs> Somebody should. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe someone should actually go to some trouble to try and recreate the famous sea monster photographs. Um, I don't think yeah, it would be that much trouble. I think get some get some garbage bags. No, 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 no. You have to go to. You have to recreate it at the same spot. You have to go to the Great Barrier Reef, the various so I other... Think, I think Darren's asking for fun. Okay? <laughs> the various other tropical locations in which sea monsters have been photographed. So, yeah, there aren't many good sea monster photographs, and I covered... I wouldn't say, like, I, wouldn't say I covered all of them, but I covered like four or five in a series of articles back in 2008. It's just scary when you remember when these things were in. 2008, that's like... That's that's years ago. I can't count how many years ago, but that's a long time ago. So um, many years ago. And so so thank you to everyone who participated in the discussion on that article. I can't move away from it yet because it's only got 19 comments so far. So it's going to stay there until we get 23. But uh, the next thing, to, the next thing to talk about on Tetsu is the new paper that I have out on Asdarkid Paleobiology with Mark. Um, I, I haven't had time to do that yet. Uh, but then after that, now this is our segue, because we're still staying on the subject of cryptozoology. Act, well, here we go, moving into Act 3. Is it inter, It's not intermission, it is intromission, right? Intromission? Because one of them is something to do with sex. <laughs> it's intermission. 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 <laughs> I said I was an idiot. <laughs> Let's... Sure are. Uh, no, I'm not editing that out. <laughs> Like I care anymore. Um, well, the cryptozoologicon. Um, cryptozoologicon? Exactly. Yeah. Volume. <laughs> I, met, I met Mike Easy in Los Angeles. It was very nice to meet you, Mike. Shame you can't pronounce words properly, but. Uh... <laughs> Keezy spur. Um, um, Got a bit derailed no, there. He's, he's one of our most ardent supporters, so big love. Indeed. Uh, yeah, Cryptozoological Volume 1. Um, we're working on Volume 2 right now, yeah? So vol volume, volume 1 is out, but so far, right now, it's only out for the Kindle, which it's real cheap. It's, what is it, like seven quid? Or, it's less than that. Six pounds something. 660, I think. 6.60 English pounds. English pounds, yes. So... Dollars is going to be like probably 11, 10. 10, 10, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's only got two reviews so far, which is, you don't expect many for a Kindle thing. Um, and both of them are five-star reviews. People say very nice things about it. I don't think it's going to get... Well, I wonder about this, actually. So the Sorry, is... 639. 639, people. That's a strange price. <laughs> it's, to, it's to hit 10 American dollars. Is it? Ah, I see. Right, right. But um, so, so far, I haven't seen any commentary on it from the the crypto crew, the 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 actual. I don't mean that there's a group of people on the internet that call themselves crypto crew. I mean from from true howling at the moon cryptozoology type people, uh, because because I know they're not going to like it because <laughs> it's a uh, it's it's fairly. It's a sceptical volume, 
with respect to what we actually say about the evidence for cryptozoology. And it also says things about people like Bernard Hoovelmans and Ivan Sanderson and so on. Um, so maybe, but maybe that will change when the paper copy is out, when people yeah. actually can have that as a book. I think I, think I should just explain why it comes out in these dribs and drabs and why it's all a bit of a pain. Uh, and why we say it's not launching until the 6th of December, even though you can buy the Kindle copy and all that. It's because we don't have control over when these things launch. So I'm, I put them into these various systems that get them get the um, Kindle version out, the iBooks version out, um, the paper version on Amazon, and the paper version on Lulu. And all of these have different amounts of time that they can take to get through the system and appear on the uh appear for sale and some of them are like weeks and some of them are days so um you often end up with thing things coming out a month before the other things so for example it doesn't look like the um paper version will be out on amazon until after the launch but there's nothing we can do oh. about that because it's just the way things are they take six to eight weeks to approve a paper version for some reason Whereas the Kindle version, this time, last time it took 3.5 weeks. This time it took two days. So <laughs> <laughs> how much is the So that's paper? why it all comes out in crazy, crazy dribs and drabs. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, how much is the paper version? Same as yeah. all yesterday, so it's £22, which I 22. believe is about $35. Let me just check. Okay, because Mark went asked that on Facebook. Uh, and I wanted to know anyway. That's not so bad. There's a lot of text in this book. A lot more than it's 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 more dense than. Um, it is a lot more all dense yesterday. than all yesterday's. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so paperback far, I mean, will be twenty seven dollars thirty one cents. That's twenty two right. pounds. Twenty two English pounds. Yeah. English pounds or British ah, pounds? It would have been thirty five dollars twenty nine. This I'm looking at all yesterday's, which is the same price. Um, interestingly, <clears throat> yes. Oh, all yesterday's is on sale on Amazon. So the paper version yeah. that is. So Amazon. if you don't have it, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we don't control um, that either. That's very it's odd, isn't it? <laughs> well, I was, I've I've had people say to me, "Oh, why do you have to make them so expensive?" It's like, do you know how razor thin the paper thin <laughs> the profit <laughs> margins are? <laughs> There's got to be another way. <laughs> How about we? How about we hand print each one and mail it out? That will make much more money that way, surely. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, um, right. At each the one cost out. of. <laughs> now the questions that I'm getting in on Facebook are cryptozoological oriented. Uh, oh, there's a lot. Uh, Patrick Murphy, was there any particular criteria for which creatures appeared in the cryptozoological? I can answer that, but do you want to answer that? Um, well. If I'm going to give the uh, the honest answer. If... Well, that's, I was going to give an honest answer. Yeah, we like the look of them. We right? chose a bunch of creatures that we thought would be fun to illustrate or write about. Yeah. And the ones that particularly appeared in Volume 1 were the ones we'd had most completed. <laughs> the, one, the ones that we'd finished. That's why they're in there, yeah. Um, Mike Kesey, can SVP talks be discussed? We'd love to hear some discussion on Falderatel's ideas about the KPG extinction. The the talks you're not allowed to discuss them in detail, ah, but KPG is so nasty. I wanted to call it the MC extinction. Mesozoic, stop oh. extinction time. 
It's so good. It's so good. Can't we have that? I've toured around the world (laughs) from the Laramie Basin to uh, the Bay, Darlston Bay in Dorset. Um, Well, we've already spoken about the SVP. Also, given his pronunciation of Nick Tosaurus, I'm looking forward to hearing John say Cryptozoological. Oh, that's why you said that. I should read these first. Tim Morris, I would love to hear your opinion on the more obscure crypto cetaceans. I'd always assume the oddly coloured or shaped whales and dolphins is less of a worry than the more ridiculous cryptids. Maybe some of those signs are new species. Now, in my Cryptozoological talk, I'm actually going to discuss the background to my own research, my own like publications on cryptozoology, because I don't know how well known it is, but I've been publishing on cryptozoology stuff since I was a boy, since I was 20 years old. And uh, the first stuff I ever published was a whole series of articles about mystery whales of the world. Now, of course, if you write stuff at 20, it's not going to be the same as stuff you're going to write when you're about twice that age. Um, but, um, yeah, I... I, I there's a, there's a whole load of, of crypto cetaceans of, of mysterious whales that people claim to have seen. Suspiciously, Stop a fiddling huge with chunk- your cable. What? Oh, was- <laughs> Sorry, I'm rubbing my hands because I'm freezing myself here. Oh, I um, thought you were you were getting into it. You were all like I'm cold. I'm trying to warm my hands up. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Sorry, yeah, there's I a whole you. yeah a whole bunch of mystery whales. A, a significant portion of them were, were reported by the same. Uh, individual captain moiser bruns which is always a bit suspicious and the cryptozoological literature tends to treat these as oh wow look people have seen weird dolphins that don't matter any known species but it's one of those things where in actual fact you think about enough possibilities it's like you know what were the conditions at the time how reliable was the reporter what do we know about the variation in this animal all kinds of stuff like that um there are more skeptical ways of looking at them uh, not gonna could talk. Yeah, I could I could talk for hours about mystery whales. I've written a lot about them, but um, I still think there's one or two that that kind of don't match with any known species that we have. And are they were they one-off freaks like Giglioli's Amphitera pacifica, this alleged two fin, two finned um, throat pleat lacking rorqual that he claims uh, to have seen? Um, um, yeah. So uh, let's move on. Um, Ethan Kosak of Black Mud Puppy fame says, if you had to organise cryptids by likelihood of existence, which ones would you guys rate most highly? Well, I think we've done this before. I mean, one of the cryptids that seems to be most well-supported is Orang Pendek, this uh, red-furred orangutan-like bipedal ape from, from Sumatra. And we say that in the book, so you'll hear more about it in the book. That's not to say that... I mean, I certainly wouldn't say that I accept its validity, and... Um, there's some problems with the uh, evidence that's been amassed for it. And obviously there isn't really any compelling evidence yet that it does exist. But in terms of like being least unlikely, yeah. Mark Witten, something to mention, Price. blah, blah, old Price, we've done that. Mark Carter, any opinion on the recent Centre for Fortean Zoology expedition to Tasmania, <laughs> which surprisingly totally failed to find thylacines? I was, I'm friends with virtually all of the CFZ people. And it was quite funny that I was seeing... I was seeing in you know Facebook feeds and so on. I was seeing people talk about um, newspaper art, uh, online news articles saying, "Oh, this team from the UK, including the Australians as well, but they're going out to Tasmania to look for thylacine." Oh, it's really exciting. And Richard Freeman of the CFZ says, "I'm absolutely sure it exists, and definitely got to find evidence for it." And at the same time, in my Facebook feed, I'm seeing people on the expedition saying, "Well, we we found 
nothing so far. <laughs> and uh, it's really cold. <laughs> and um, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, there's, there are, there's always going to be people saying they see thylacines. And for all these mystery animals, there's people saying that they see all manner of things. And, um, oh, just, just don't. <laughs> and to, and like a thylacine, I mean, really, it looks so much like a dog. In terms of just like general outline, if you see it, I'll get an unclear glimpse of it. And I just, and I'm guaranteed there's a lot of dogs in Tasmania. I just, no, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry, people. It, it, Breeding well, population. It, nope. It, it all depends on how this is this is the problem with cryptozoology how how um how much what is it do people say how much store or how much stock stock how much how much confidence do you put <laughs> in, in in eyewitness reports because yeah there are people coming up with pretty good claimed sightings of thylacines and the only person who knows whether they have validity or not is the person who claims the sighting or no that's even that's not true is it because what you this is something that I have discussed with people who claim sightings of all kinds of things. I have a friend who has been abducted by aliens. He has seen a whole series of entities that are not known to science. He has seen, I, I don't want to give any clues as to, as to who this person is, but he has seen claims of being <clears throat> loads of things. And You're not talking <laughs> about me, are you, Darren? How did you never say anything? And this crazy, straggly-haired, mustachioed, London-based Australian individual um, is is also someone who I've got to be really careful because I don't want to insult you any, any further than that. But uh, <laughs> it's what you, what people, what people think. But it's a, I'm going to paraphrase Charles Paxton, who works on this whole subject: eyewitness, eyewitness reliability. What we see is not the same as what we perceive. What we perceive is not the same as what we remember, and what we remember is not the same as what we relay, relay, explain to other people. There's like a four-stage process between you seeing something with your eyes and you telling other people what you've seen. Bear in mind, we've got good reason for thinking that the vast majority of people are rubbish when it comes to remembering what they've seen and explaining what they've seen. There's all these, there's all these problems with with uh, anecdotal evidence of uh, across the board. I mean, not just relating to sightings of mystery animals and, and not just to ghosts, paranormal phenomena, UFOs, levitation, fairies, leprechauns, um, giant Victorian ants, um, but also to stuff like testimony in court. There are cases where people swear that they, you know, they definitely saw someone commit a murder and that, that kind of stuff. So... Um, uh, are there really are there life thylacines? I'm certainly I certainly don't think so as a as a science based person. So as, as a scientist, uh, <laughs> as a Rebecca Groom or Groomo as I like to call her, who's recently made a plush as Darkid, and I have her. Look, here's the here's the ichthyosaur. She made it SVP scale. Still got it next to me. Yeah, that's great. Um, Rebecca says, "Do moles let out a small snort and dive shock if it if, if it lightly on the nose with a pencil?" This is something she discovered in a book, and I said, "Yes, it's true." But what the book doesn't say is that they also, um, just as they die, <laughs> they die in a giant incandescent incandescent explosion, in which you have only like seconds to escape. Ethan also says, "Roman versus Chupacabra, who wins?" <laughs> what do you think? 
Cheaper camera. Okay. Cameron McCormick, where does Zoyomara Zoo or Necro Simulacrum fit in the Tedford family tree? Now, that's an in-joke, and I suggest that we actually don't explain what Zoyomara Zoo or Necro Simulacrum is. But I will hint quite heavily that people might need to buy the Cryptozoological <laughs> Volume 1 in order to find out. Llewellyn says, you refuse to release episode 13 because it contains your admission that Bigfoot is real, that a Colin monster is a shoulder fish, <laughs> and that a massive conspiracy fakes several continents worth of evidence about ice ages, which are a hoax. <laughs> yeah, I've got to like that comment. That's very, very funny. Uh, I think Llewellyn might actually read Tetsu and, and the discussions I get involved in on Facebook. Could you also mention no tingulates or Zinafterans? Yep, there you go. Done that. Andrea says, are you superstitious? Because he's saying, why isn't there an episode 13? Well, hopefully we've explained why there isn't an episode 13. There really was one. Are you planning to re- include any bits of it in this episode? Uh, <laughs> or is it I non-salvageable? Might. Yeah, well, I think yeah, just to show people it very little of it. We're yeah. not kidding. We're not kidding. It does exist. And we recorded, we, we wasted the better part of a couple of hours recording that bloody thing. I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'll tell people what happened. It, you already have. Um, it will re- no, but I'll, exactly what happened. It, would, it was only recording half the conversation, but also it kept breaking up. So we kept stopping and starting it, hanging yeah. up Skype, starting the thing up again. But that time, each time it would record a different side of the conversation. So you've got 10 minutes of me. Which is mostly silence, going, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you might have five minutes of Darren with odd silences and laughing for no reason. Um, <laughs> <As normal. laughs> and so that's what happened. So it's only one side of the conversation, but in different chunks. Mm, oh, and mm. lots of the sound is just really appalling. So, yeah. It was the worst Skype interaction I've ever had. Uh, not that I've been on Skype for years, but it's by far the worst one that I've, that I've, I've had so far. This one so far has gone great. Um, do you have anything on uh, Twitter that's come in? I don't. Oh, no? Yeah. Okay. No, right. Um, so I've, just a little bit more about the Cryptozoological. Basically, we should say that so people that like John's and Memo's artwork, and I think that's pretty much everyone who likes our stuff in general, um, should know that the Cryptozoologicon is a beautifully illustrated uh, book, similar similar format to all yesterday's. It features, is it 28, I think 28 mystery creatures. Yeah. We have imagineered our own versions of the mystery creatures of the cryptozoological literature. And um, <clears throat> the whole theme of the book is, look, cryptozoologists have come up with these ideas for what creatures are, often proposing very specific identities. You know, the animals have got their own evolutionary histories. We are doing that. We are combining both, both stuff that's in the cryptozoological literature with our own ideas on speculative zoology, speculative evolution. And uh, that's certainly what I'll be exploring in the, the launch talk. So like I say, the Kindle, available, the Kindle version is available online now. The actual printed book comes out on or just after December 6th. Oh, you'll and be able then, to get it on Lulu before then. Oh, will you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, what, what, people watch Facebook, and I'll, I'll obviously talk about it on Ted Zoo anyway. So, um, and then we produce so much material. Now, as, as you might have gathered from what we've said already um, in this episode, the, the problem with these books is the profit margin is, is tiny. The, the, these books have to be more expensive than we would like for versions of postage and packing and stuff, and the huge cuts that Amazon and Lulu might ever take. So... Um, we, wanted to, we want to keep them fairly small, 
And we produce so much material that uh, the discussion we were having at one stage is do we want to produce an extra big lavish book, which would be like 40 pounds, like 60 US dollars, that, that sort of price. And the, conclu- the, the consensus opinion was no, we don't, because that's just going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not ever going to buy a book that's that expensive. I never do. Um, so we knew that we would outprice a lot of people. So we decided, that's why we had to decide to cut the book into two. So far as I know, it is two and only two, right? We're not going to like... There's no reason, given the format, we couldn't keep publishing a new one every time we felt like it and had enough material. But yeah, there is well, only, there are only two planned. Um, and I, I think we should say that the second, second volume is... It's not finished, but it's not, you know, it's it's not far there's, off. There's a heap heap of stuff there, so it's definitely happening. Happening. Oh yeah, it's, it's just, definitely happening, and it's going to be pretty much the same in terms in theme and form to volume one, although obviously with a whole different set of creatures and a whole load of new stuff. And and I think, I think that we've covered some quite interesting stuff, and I also think that this isn't just silliness. It isn't just fun. Um, I think the once once critical people do get around to I'm, I'm thinking of like a few key vocal cryptozoologists uh, once they do start criticizing it i hope the point is made that this book is not just frivolity and silliness it's not just us it's not just us um being dismissive or frivolous about cryptozoology it's like hold on do you people actually understand the nature of like the evidence that you're looking at and sort of how you should actually come to conclusions uh, that that kind of thing um because many of the ideas that are taken almost for granted, that are like canon in cryptozoology, are, like I said before, I th- way back when we did the episode with Blake from Monster Talk, when we were talking then about cryptozoology, I made this point that so many, the cases for mystery animals are houses of cards. There's like this giant pyramid has been built up about what we think this creature is and what we think its history is. But it's like, well, look at the bottom layer of cards, the bedrock for the case. It's a... Uh, problematic and you, as soon as you like take that level away the whole thing yeah. but it, i should emphasize it is also fun <laughs> I, i'm not saying it's not i said it's not just i think yeah i think uh, it's a way it's a very interesting way to approach biology is sort of counterfactuals right <clears throat> counterfactuals yeah animals that don't exist what what um mm. What can, we, what can we say about them? How can we imagine them? <laughs> I think that teaches us a lot about what we think the rules are in biology, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I did a, a little video for Scientific American some months ago about the Squamozoic. And I made, and, and it was like, what's the point of speculative zoology? And I said exactly the same thing. I said that by asking questions about things that haven't happened, that can actually help us to understand things that, that have happened. You know, there are some things that, that certain groups of organisms, and even organisms in general, haven't done. And sometimes there are very good reasons for that. Um, yes. Needless to say, you could have a whole lengthy discussion on that, and we don't have time now. So anything else you want to say? I reckon we should wrap up. Yes. Um, actually, I think I should just say the Cryptozoologicon uh, paper version is already available on Lulu. So you can actually yeah. order it. Yeah. What? So that's, that's, a, that's a little... Um, what? Plug? Exclusive for our um, exclusive. Wow. Te- exclusive for our Tetra Podcast uh, listeners. Yikes! I didn't know that. And there's going to be like the pe- for people going to the launch. How many copies have you ordered? Did you sell like fifty? I ordered or- thirty, and I've ordered copies of all yesterday's because. And if anyone listening to this 
is coming to the launch. This will be your probably your only chance to get signed copies of Cryptozoologicon or All Yesterdays if you don't already have it from all three of us because we live in different places, especially with Memo in um, in Turkey. We don't actually get together that often. So uh there's a touchboard oh there's a there's a little blog called touchboard zoology it's hosted at scientific american there's a touchboard zoology facebook page and i tweet at at tetzoo oh i can't be bothered tonight (laughs) um what else do i need to say because we've already done yeah go on you've got stuff on the internet haven't you I, I do. Oh, we we should say uh, the website for the podcast is tetsu.com, right? Mm. We frequently forget to say that. Have we already um, said thank you for donations? Uh, I don't remember. Should we tell people what's going on here or should we just carry on? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll tell nah, people. Let's just, nah, oh, make okay. it more mysterious. Let's not All tell right. them. We've just got to say there's a little bit of a time delay between the rest of the show and this bit, which is why we... I don't know. Maybe we, it may be consistent with the other stuff. Or we may seem more clueless than we were in the earlier part. We won't know until we find out. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Uh, You're on the yeah. internet. I am on the internet. Johnconway.co, um, which is where you'll find my stuff. I'm on the Twitters, but it's probably best just to find the link to that through my website. Which did I mention was Johnconway.co? Did I say that already? Mm. Well, you yeah, just did. I think I did. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. I think that's all we really need to say. Um, yes. Come to the launch. People have got to come to the launch. There's still spaces. Um, I bet you. I bet you've already said that. I bet you that's already in the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. I should say, John. I accidentally deleted <laughs> deleted him. We've had to re-record it. Okay, bye. Bye. Fish!